NPR. This is the Indicator from Planet Money. I'm Darren Woods, and it is Indicators of the Week. This week, we have two very special guests all the way from NPR. We've got our colleague from Planet Money, Kenny Malone. Greetings. Yes, it is I. And we also have NPR's climate correspondent, Nate Rott. Oh, hey. Today, we're going to talk work permits for Venezuelan migrants. We're going to look at climate meetings and million-dollar dinosaurs. All of that after the break. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Babson College. Discover Babson College's Master of Science in Management and Entrepreneurial Leadership Program, an intensive nine-month journey that equips recent college graduates with practical skills for today's dynamic business landscape. Tackle real-world challenges and emerge with a problem-solving mindset. Whether you choose to start your own business or innovate within a corporation, a master's from Babson will help launch your career forward. Apply today at babson.edu slash msleader. Support for NPR and the following message come from Fisher Investments. SVP Judy Abrams shares how their fiduciary duty comes to life while helping clients plan for retirement. As a fiduciary, we must make decisions in our clients' best interest. So we work with them in consultation to be on a glide path so when they want the option to retire, that portfolio is still going to keep working for them at this stage of life. Learn more at FisherInvestments.com. Investing in securities involves the risk of loss. All right, so we're doing the indicators of the week. Darren, you're our first up. What's the uh, what's your indicator? My indicator is 472,000. That's how many Venezuelans in the U.S. are eligible for new temporary documentation. It means they'll be eligible for work permits for the next 18 months. This was announced by the Biden administration this week. Right, because we've got a lot of Venezuelans newly in the country who, until now, haven't really been able to find work or been allowed to. Yeah, they haven't. So you've got hundreds of thousands who have left their home because of the economic collapse there over the last decade. And many of them are in these overflowing shelters in the U.S. They're using social services, but they're barred from contributing themselves. But with this whole policy move to allow more working, you might have one question or or concern. When you have a large number of people entering the workforce, will this undercut the wages of everybody else? Will it make existing American workers worse off? That is the question. Is, Is there a way to answer that question is really my question. Well, there is an economics paper out this summer that answers this kind of question. The economists George Borjas and Anthony Ido looked at a similar situation in France in the early 1980s. What happened then was about 150,000 undocumented people in France were given the opportunity to apply for work permits. These were mostly young workers with lower levels of education. And what happened? I mean, did the wages crash for existing construction workers and restaurant staff and hotel cleaners and everyone? Well, in fact, not only did those wages not crash, they went up. Hmm. And the wider French economy got a 1% boost to incomes. Is there a guess why? So the theory that this paper puts forward is when you have a portion of workers who are restricted from advocating for better pay and conditions because they're undocumented, they're kind of locked in, and that gives employers market power. Basically, if a native employee asks for a pay rise before the work permits, they could just say, hey, look, we've got plenty of undocumented workers who would love to take your place. You know, we're paying them under the table. 
So those employers were keeping wages lower for everybody. But when you then give legal work permits to most of those workers, suddenly the employer doesn't have that excuse. The undocumented workers have more flexibility to move around jobs, and a lot of workers, even the ones you'd think would be competing with them, could be better off. Well, there's Darian's indicator. Nate, I gather you've brought something from the pressing news as well. Yeah, so uh, I'm sure you know, I know Darian knows from having to deal with traffic, that the UN was meeting for its General Assembly this week in New York, and they had a little side meeting on climate. Uh, There's been a lot of big talk on the issue this week, not as much walk, and my indicator of the week reflects that, what our lack of walking on the climate front means. So my indicator is 23 And by that, I mean just here in the U.S., we've already experienced 23 separate billion-dollar disasters this year. I mean, I'm assuming billion is the floor. Some might have been more than that, right? (laughs) For sure. I mean, at least a billion. The wildly wet winter and spring that we had out here in California earlier this year. Do you guys remember that? Yep. Yeah, atmospheric rivers, massive snowpack, not good. That caused an estimated 5 to $7 billion in damages alone. Uh, the horrific fires in Hawaii more recently, 4 to $6 billion. So FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Agency, right, the federal agency that pays for all of this is broke because of how much money is piling up. And this is just the financial toll, not to mention, obviously, the incalculable human toll. Totally. So, so can you tell us more, though, about the special UN sort of side summit to address this stuff this week? Yeah, so let's start by just looking at its name. It was called the Climate Ambition Summit. What does that make you think? Sounds aspirational. <laughs> yeah, ambition doesn't, yeah, not a lot of confidence in the word ambition there. Yeah, aspirational is the word. So world leaders have been holding these kinds of climate-related summits for decades now, and they've always put out these ambitious goals, talking about the need to cut fossil fuels out of the economy or at least greatly reduce them. And yet, the United Nations actual climate summit this year, COP28, anyone want to guess where that's being hosted? I'm going to set this one out. I already know this. Uh, Kenny? No, I'm not going to guess what everyone knows but me. Just tell <laughs> us, Darren. <laughs> it's in the United Arab Emirates. In that Dubai. is correct. Ding, ding, ding. Dubai. Yes. One of the biggest fossil fuel producing countries in the world. I can see why uh, why people are commenting on this, yes. Yeah, so it's definitely rubbing climate activists the wrong way. Uh, thousands of people marched in New York this year demanding that President Biden and world leaders, you know, move away from planet warming fossil fuels. And we heard a lot from world leaders, including Biden, about them talking at the General Assembly about their efforts to do just that. Sounds like we probably got some Inflation Reduction Act name drops. For uh, sure, yeah. Ten points for Gryffindor or no. Ravenclaw, Hufflepuff. I refuse to disclose. Uh, Mm. Nope, not sharing. You've reached the line of Kenny's personal life. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, jokes aside, the sad reality is that the U.S. and the world's other biggest economies and polluters are still miles away from where scientists say we need to be, miles away from where countries have pledged to be. Nearly every country in the world has pledged to limit global warming to below 2 degrees Celsius and preferably 1.5 But the UN's own analysis says current climate goals are putting us on pace to warm the planet 2.5 degrees Celsius by the end of the century, which is really, really not good. Okay, $23 billion disasters, just a taster. Yeah, sadly, yes. All right, so moving on from fossil fuels to just fossils, I guess. Kenny. Yes, yes. Well, this week we learned that the fossilized bones of a dinosaur named Barry... We'll be going up for auction soon, 
in Paris.、Uh, if you haven't heard, Barry is an unusually intact skeleton from like a, a less famous relative of the iguanodon, and he's expected to sell for like one point three million dollars, which is my indicator this week. One point three million. I know it sounds like a lot, but in the grand scheme of fossil sales, it is not that much. You know, the record was set a few years ago when a fossilized T. Rex called Stan sold for almost thirty-two million dollars. And、uh, fun fact: Stan sold to an anonymous bidder that people briefly thought was Dwayne the Rock Johnson, but uh, no. Uh, turns out Stan was headed to the Natural History Museum of Abu Dhabi. All right, so but like, have dinosaur bones just become like the same for rich people as investing in like fine art or something? Well, Nate, yes, but with a delightful little like taste of the home flipping market here, because <laughs> when a fossil is discovered, you know, there's still a lot of work to do. It needs to be excavated, cleaned, bones are missing, and it's you know, it should ideally be artfully assembled and then mounted to sell well. And there is this Italian company called Zoic that apparently does all of this, and.、Uh, They are, in fact, the current owners of the soon-to-be auctioned fossil named Barry, and I don't know what they paid for Barry, but I do know that a few years ago there was a Triceratops fossil called Big John, and the Italian company they reportedly bought up Big John for just a few hundred thousand dollars, did tons of their work on it, and then sold Big John at auction for seven point seven million dollars. That is a flip <laughs> right there. No kidding. And、uh, you know, I should say that that the you know the high-end fossil. Market like th- this is a very made in the USA industry because the U.S. is one of the only like fossil rich countries where you can legally own and then sell fossils that you find on private property. And in fact, all the dinos I've mentioned here discovered in the U.S. on private property. And you know, look, does allowing all of this disincentivize an illegal black market for fossils? Does it push fossils into private collections and out of museums? It's a big debate. Some may, in fact, say it is a Camptosaurus-sized debate,、uh, which、uh, is the kind of dinosaur that that Barry is. It's a bad name. You can see why they call him Barry. Kind of campy, you know. Well, that was indicators of the week.、Uh, thank you so much for joining. Thank you, Darian. Yeah, thank you. This episode was produced by Corey Bridges with engineering by Sina Lafredo. It was fact-checked by Sarah Quades. Kate Cannon is our editor, and the indicator is a production of NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Greenlight. Want to teach your kids financial literacy? With Greenlight, kids and teens use a debit card of their own, while parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and savings in the app. Get your first month free at greenlight.com/npr.